Hello and welcome to the third installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we break down trailers, movies, TV shows, and pretty much anything else that we find in pop culture. Uh, for those new listeners out there, we'll start off with formal introductions. My name is Ivan, and I'm joined today by my co-host Emmett. In today's episode, we'll be breaking down the 11th chapter of The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 3, uh, titled The Heiress. This might be the best episode of the season so far. And kind of kind of an easy statement to make after three episodes, right? But uh, <laughs> I, I I did think that season opener was really good. So, you know, I it's just I, I feel like this is one and, and I think it kind of follows the same trend as the first season where episode three was probably it probably had the biggest action sequence of the show to that point. Um, and I, I guess the same thing can be said for here. But or I guess you could kind of make the argument, right? The crate Dragon thing might have been a little bit on par. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, why don't we why don't we kick it off with some of the plot points, uh, likes and dislikes for this only being thirty minutes? I think there's a lot of things to to break down and to discuss. You know, it begins with the Razor Crest limping to Trask, where we picked off from the second episode. So, what they're doing is keeping each episode directly following one another in the timeline of events, as opposed to jumping around a bit, which we saw in the first season. So it, it's limping to Trask. It's that that was seen in the trailer. So that's not really news. We kind of saw that. We we guessed a few different planets of possibilities, including Dagobah. But it turns out it's Trask. And then it's got this intense landing scene. Starts off the episode fast paced, so you know it's going to be good. I thought cinematically that was a very stunning scene for what they're able to accomplish. Um, funny thing though, you hear him mutter "Dank Ferric," which is pretty easy to miss in that moment, but also, uh, I guess, in other episodes, too, because you, you said that you heard it uh, in the first season, and then it appears again in the in this same episode. It's got to be some sort of, like, curse. I, I tried looking it up. It has no origin or any other meaning, really, in, in the universe. Yeah, I think we've heard it a few times over the course of the series, I think. I, I'm sure I heard it at least once in the in the pilot episode last season. But I don't, um, I I don't know if it's it's. The, I don't think we've heard it in any other uh, medium before this. Definitely not in the movies. Um, I don't think I heard it in Clone Wars. That probably would have to be a deep dive cut uh, to to pick it up if it was. But it's it's funny to hear like little phrases that they're trying to thread throughout the entire universe that they're creating. Um, it's probably equivalent to gosh darn it or something like that, you know? Maybe um, something heavier. <laughs> maybe a little bit heavier when he's crashing to or plummeting to the planet's surface. <laughs> a little bit bigger than gosh darn it, but I'm trying to keep it friendly for all listeners. <laughs> um, but the the cool thing that I really liked at, at the beginning was when he's getting the, obviously he crashes into the water um, and the crane that picks him up is is the body of like a repurposed ATAT, which is really cool to see like the Empire's impact not only like across the galaxy, but specifically on this world. Um and how they've like repurposed, you know, walkers or weapons or anything like that of the of the sort or armor. Um we saw it in in the first season, also in Bryce's episode in the Water World, where we saw that like sort of possessed um chicken walker was that the atst yeah yeah i feel like 
it kind of follows a little bit of a similar thread to like the when whenever you first see the original trilogy, everything feels so used and lived in mm-hmm. versus the clean feel of the prequels. So you, it, the show follows that, but it also like amps it up by really like visually establishing the fact that this is post imperial rule. Yeah, and then we get the frog family reunion, you know, the the touching, heart touching moment of of the season of the whole series, really. You know, they need a spinoff series for these two frog people. I I I enjoyed I I enjoyed the makeup and effects that they have with it. Um, it seems like practical stuff that they have, but this could uh, be their WandaVision. It could be. <laughs> you never know. This <laughs> this might be what the the next uh, set of movies is going to be about the offspring of those frog people. <laughs> offspring singular we don't know if many more hatched yeah well they narrowly escaped almost not existing so and also i'm going to stick to my original theory from last week that i think he understands the language now that he's heard it translated once I- i'm going to say that he's some sort of freak that can understand a language after hearing it one time because he's having like enough of a conversation with both the frog lady and the frog husband um to like understand what they're indicating so i think he like he gets what the sound effects are obviously he doesn't speak the language back because he just speaks in english but i i think there's more to it than just like getting the idea of where to go like he came up with oh you mean you're pointing to the inn like from just a gesture yeah i don't know i i I feel like I feel like Amanda is the type of guy that just kind of wings certain things. So, because <laughs> it, it, he he's a little casual about certain things and then not at all about others. So I don't know. I, I think he just he he gets the general gist of what they're trying to say. Uh, but I guess it's kind of I guess similar like in the real world situation where you don't understand somebody's language, but you can kind of, there's words that kind of are parallel to the way that you can maybe act them out. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I can kind of relate it to that a little bit. I I don't think he necessarily understands their, their language per se, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what kind of, I guess it's like a croaking kind of noise, right? Yeah, Peli, he's going to have to take some lessons from Pelimoto back on uh, Tatooine. For sure. Um, But then, yeah, so he's directed to the inn. He has a seat at the dinner table with the child orders some chowder um pays handsomely for some information uh from the mon calamari and then gets sold out immediately immediately betrayed (laughs) he's like oh thanks for all this all these credits let me go talk to the one guy who will try and you know sell your armor uh so yeah it also kind of felt like it was a setup in that moment um I, i don't know it just it just felt like he was laughing under his breath. He mentioned the Beskar armor. It just felt like a trap, you know? Yeah, I feel like from the get-go, the, the foreign plot was definitely a uh, a setup. Um, I wonder, though, like if it's one of those things where like he knows it's going to be a setup, he just doesn't... He has no other leads at this point. Bring the trap, as Obi-Wan would say. Yeah. <laughs> Might as it's well possible. take a shot. Yeah, no, it is cer- it's certainly possible. So basically he's uh he's directed, yeah, well I'll 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 take you to the other Mandalorians that came through here. It's a quick sail uh across the sea. Uh we'll take my ship. And then apparently the the crewmates of 
15 brothers uh, came up with this plan to trap him into a, I don't know what you would call that, like an aquarium within the ship <laughs> and feed him to the mama core, which also, again, I tried looking up. I have no idea what the, the history of this beast is, but it looks like the Kraken. It looks like a Sarlacc in water. <laughs> that was my first thought too, but then uh, it didn't really make sense because it maybe if you called it like Mama Sarlacc or something like that, you know, like kind of tie the name together, but it does have that look to it for sure. There's a lot of tentacles in this episode. <laughs> Very, yeah. yeah, like all, all, all around. I guess it makes sense they're on a water planet per se. <laughs> I didn't want, I didn't want to call that out, but yeah, they are. <laughs> it's just it's so it's it's an interesting thing for me to kind of see because you know and you and i talked about this offline but anybody who's seen the clone wars this episode is loaded with references to it but also um the very fact of like i think in clone wars you were introduced to the conflict between the moncals and the corin and so Mm -hmm. you just see them getting along in this planet where it's it's a trade commerce black market kind of thing um it's it's a nice little world building point where it kind of shows you that the world has kind of moved on from that sort of thing it is nice to see them like coexisting on this planet um because it seems like they're there for the same reasons that the frog lady was going there it's a habitable planet for them um which seems to be like a short supply nowadays so it is nice to see that they all ended up here it'd be cool to get a little background as to how that happened i'm not sure it really matters to mando so that's probably why it didn't come up um that would just that would be another nod to to the clone wars fan to get a better understanding there but then this is where the the action really picks up in the episode and it feels like it starts this is where the snowball starts to roll down the hill um where it just keeps picking up pace uh the the other mandalorians jetpack onto the ship they jump into spring into action and start to kick ass um and then ultimately pull mando from the pit and save the child no so i i, I think there's a it's always impressive to see what they're able to pull off stunt wise with folks that are pretty much in in heavy armor um although like showcasing agility and all that this was a really good um action scene and also kind of a reminder of just how high of a budget the show has because there's there's it seems like this to kind of make it a little harder to distinguish whether this is a movie or you're literally streaming this you know at home it does have a very um high budget movie vibe to it when you're watching it um if if you watch this like without all the intros and without all the credits and you just watched it all the way through, it would feel like a blockbuster movie um, that had a little bit more time to work with. But yeah, like the, the cool thing that I really liked um, was that the actress who played Bo-Katan was Katie Sackhoff um, repri- reprising that role from Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, so it's nice to see that. Like we, we saw this, what was that last episode too? Um, with a, a Clone Wars reprisal, it, it's slipping memory right now, but um, it's nice to see that you know they're keeping actors within their roles across different shows. Yeah, I I feel like there's not a lot of that type of crossover that happens all that much, right? Because I feel like anybody that so for anyone that's like super into animation, 
voice actors kind of just stick to their lane per se. Yeah. I think in Katie Sackhoff's case, she was primarily an on-screen actress, and then she did some voice work here and there. So, I guess it made sense for them to bring her on to reprise her role in the live-action uh, show. I wonder how much of that we're going to see with other characters that they may introduce down the line. It, it it's always cool to kind of see it happen that way when it fits. Uh, but yeah, I one thing, quick note: um, did Katie Sackhoff's character? Does she seem a little too young for the timeline, given the fact that I'm assuming she's about Obi-Wan's age during the Clone Wars, right? More or less. It's hard to tell. I think Obi-Wan was older than he always looked in the show and the movie. Because when Luke is in A New Hope, that's what, 17 years after Sith? I think 19 or so. All right, regardless. He looks like he's 75 in that. <laughs> and there's no way during Sith and, like, the Clone Wars is he looking that young. I mean, yeah, she, she, may, be look, she may be a little young uh, as an actual actress for that role. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't really have a problem with that. I don't either. I just It just kind of came to mind because uh, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wait a minute, hang on. <laughs> But but then again, you can always attribute it to like living in a world with two sons would probably age a guy to that oh, extreme. Man. Yeah, the the sunburn alone, SPF fifty at least. At the very least, but yeah. I, I love this. I I love that they're bringing in Clone Wars people because for the people that watch the show or have like really dived into Star Wars lore, these are more than just the occasional like head nod to fandom. This is like, let's steer this towards being, you know, another season on top of Clone Wars. But then for the casual fan who doesn't watch those shows, who only ever watches the the blockbuster movies, it's still interesting because you're like, oh, I don't know who this person is, but let me let me tune in to, to see what they're up to. Yeah, this is the closest we've gotten to having a very big understanding of a cohesive universe, like the way they do things over at the MCU with the various movies they have. Because then you're, yeah. crossing, you're crossing mediums here now. Like, it's no longer... And I'm trying to think, because I don't think we've had... We might have had it before, but I don't I don't think there's too, there's been too much legitimizing, or you get what I mean? Like, carrying over animated uh, characters over to live action. I think the first one was... Um, Forrest Whitaker's character from Rogue yeah, it. I think it worked the other way around, where the actual the live action movies were built, and then the the series kind of like picked up on characters that didn't get developed enough. Like I'm thinking like Darth Maul in Clone Wars, like picking up right. his storyline. So I think it I think it kind of worked the other way around. So now it's nice to see that live action is like, oh, wait, there are great storylines that were developed in Clone Wars or Rebels that we should pick up on or characters that people would people latched onto for only a few episodes that we could capitalize on. They probably saw like an uptick in subscribers to Disney Plus when that last season of Clone Wars dropped. So, you know, like a lot of that is also a driving force for it. But yeah, it's smart. Yeah. I love that we're 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 building more towards that. Having um, it doesn't matter what the medium is. You, there, there's a lot of crossover between it. Yeah, and that being said, though, I do need to, you know, make a disclaimer for everyone else and for remind myself not to get of our head of ourselves and make huge, you know, predictions or 
you know, this wish list of what I want to see because that is where you get let down. We saw that with Last Jedi, and we saw that with the second episode of this season where um, we were like, ooh, they ended with Boba Fett. We're going to get a huge fight or, like, a mentorship or something, and then we ended up getting nothing. So I don't want to get too eager, but they have given us enough, you know, enough of the blueprint to see where they're they're heading um that i don't think we have to make wild guesses i disagree i'm i'm going to put this out there <laughs> real quick i i 100 percent think that obi-wan and um bo-katan had a love child at some point and that at some point we're going to see that retconned and that's actually ray's origin so ray's Why actually would it be with Bo-Katan? Obi-Wan. wasn't wasn't he more interested in Sabine? all, all of the <laughs> satine he just he went through a uh, satine he went through the whole family <laughs> i mean she's dead right at that point so you can't blame him for being you know, moving on yeah i mean at some point i mean what the if, guy, if i the told guy... you that child was mando um, there'd be some time travel element to make it work, but I, I would, you know, I'm 100% <laughs> on board. That's what space is, though, as you, as you approach gravity, time slows down, but if, if you move away from it, right? No, we're getting out of my element, I gotta stop. All this stems <laughs> from the fact that I just can't accept that Obi-Wan aged in 19 years, the equivalent <laughs> of, like, 40 years. It's possible, and it did happen, so get over it. Right. But we have really <laughs> diverted from the plot of, of Katie Sackhoff. <laughs> being revealed <laughs> which is the major part of that scene where they take their helmets off um and all that dialogue there there's there's so much substance there um where they basically confirmed where we are experts at guessing uh that mando was raised in this like religious sect of mandalore where he's not allowed to take his helmet off uh she confirms that they are like a religious zealot group um called the watch which you and I are going under the assumption that that's Death Watch. I think it's Death Watch after Maul, I guess. Right? I I would assume. I don't know. At it some point, to, they had to adopt to. it. Yeah. They'd have to have adopted that um, no removing your helmet rule after the last time we see them on the Clone Wars, because it just doesn't make sense for it to have been like that way for, you know, however long, you know, we've, we've kind of had between that time yeah but here's the thing though and this is probably more for the people who watch clone wars but can we trust everything she's saying um from the series probably not and then also from this episode alone probably not she told him the mission we'll get into this in a little bit but the mission that she needs him to help her with is to recover these stolen Mandalore artifacts or weapons, which just end up being Empire weapons. Um, and she like changes the plan on him midway through. So I don't know if she's the most reliable source. She might just be telling him what he needs to hear in order to get him onto her side. Yeah, I, th- I think there's an element of that where I think you're right. Uh, how much, like, can we trust her? No, I don't think we can. Uh, one thing... You know, and I think the character's always kind of been true to this is that ultimately she is fighting for her planet and for her people. That yes. I don't think there's any doubt in. But I think that in terms of like, does she genuinely want to help Mando as long as it helps herself out too or her cause? Then yes. As if it doesn't, then no. But so, at the same time, she's not like she's not prioritizing the planet. She's prioritizing herself as the leader of the planet. Yeah. You know? 
Because yeah, she's we, we, after we, this dark saber because that's essentially the right to rule. We might be jumping ahead a little bit on that, but yes, I let's 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 grab onto that. And, and once we get has to... already seen the episode. By the okay. way, there are spoilers in this podcast. Oops. <laughs> Probably yeah. should add that at the beginning. Should we get into the dark saber stuff? Because I, I feel like you touched on a really good point too that I didn't. Yeah. Like... Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's something up with. A, a, like a little bit of an abrasive sh- selfishness to to it it just came out so i i know i knew the minute she was saying oh he has something that i want yep i was like okay yeah the dark saber it, immediately because she's the last person to have it in the animated series or to even know about it no one else really recognizes it so far right right and there's some there's there's some confusion as to how widespread the the existence of that saber is or how important it really is because in the in the in the lore that's the one item that has united all of the mandalorian clans and different families together in the past right so yeah i think there's an element of i want to be the ruler but i wonder when that became the her prerogative you know like when did that change because i feel like before or the last time we saw her at least on the animated show on rebels it was very much i don't want to be the leader but i'm doing it for my people you know is that still her or has she turned into i don't know like some sort of like radical it feels more like passion than being radical to me but i think she's viewing the means are not like the means don't matter as long as the ends is her getting on the throne to save her planet to unite her planet because you can hear it too when mando r- refuses to believe it he flies off into the sunset there and then they save him again from another Quarren's attack um and during this this next part of dialogue that's super important inside the bar um you can see her passion for the planet when he's like Mandalore is a, a forsaken place. Like anyone who goes there is just going to die. And you can see her be like, no, it's worth saving. It's it's definitely an interesting layer to kind of put in. I didn't really like consider delving into it too much until you brought up like, yeah, she did seem very obsessed with just the weapon itself. And I wonder if it's because she understands the importance of the symbolism behind it. And she thinks she's going to get garner more support that way. Or is she kind of, trailing towards the extent of being obsessed with power Uh, it's for sure not the last time we're going to see them or other mandalorians even though he has direction on finding ahsoka by the end of this episode you definitely know they're coming back now he the, the, the most interesting thing is that only the fans know that moff gideon had the sword mando left the scene before he he saw him escape so he had he wouldn't have been any help when if he if, if they even mentioned to him, oh, we're looking for the dark saber. Like only we knew that. So right, we'll probably see everybody back on Navarro. And he thinks he's dead. I I, I think. And that right? too. So he didn't hear any of that at all. <laughs> you know, he didn't he he didn't hear any of the interaction because I think he was busy trying to pull the ship up. Well, but... she also didn't say Moth. She said, "Does he have it?" And then the captain's reply was if you're asking me that then you already know what a troll <laughs> yeah like no it's not the time for riddles man just talk just to us say it just <laughs> say it yeah Stop I, with your little cyanide pill like just give us some answers i'm 
I don't know. I, I'm I'm definitely. I I, I want to think it's the same character we left off at the end of Rebels, uh, Bo-Katan. I mean, but she, mm-hmm. you know, her motives might have changed too. Who knows? Yeah, it's easy to get lost when you're, you know, trying to walk the path. Fighting a war, I would assume, because yeah. whatever the events that Moff Gideon was referring to at the end of the last season, the Night of a Thousand Tears, the Mandalorian Purge, all that happened after the events of um. The events that we see take place in Rebels. And he was definitely heavily involved because he's the one who ended up with the Darksaber. So that's why she probably doesn't need to name him as Moff Gideon. She just needs to say he or him and the captain or anyone in the Empire knows who she's talking about. Right. Um, But this is where, yeah, we pick back up on your thread of this being a basically just a video game where he unlocks the next mission. <laughs> uh, he basically needs to perform a heist to ransom information to get the Jedi's name and location. Um, we kind of talked about this before, this not being a totally honest mission. The actual objective was to steal Empire remnant weapons um, and get information on Moff Gideon and the Darksaber. But in Mando's... To, to Mando's uh, knowledge, it's just to recover Mandalorian uh, tech or armor or whatever it was that uh, that he was able to get on board for. So a little bit of manipulation there. Yeah, the, the definitely the terms weren't um, weren't completely clear, and I think the mission kind of changed up on the fly for him. This has like feels of the Prison Break episode where stuff changes on him when he's not the one who makes the plan. Um, same idea where they had to go and break out a prisoner. It actually ended up being him being tossed into the, the prison um, versus something like where the, the water planet in season one, where he develops the plan to capture the ATST, he is fully in charge and he knows that there's no twists or turns or, or tricks that happen during that fight. Yeah, he seems to kind of be taken advantage of quite a bit. <laughs> um, yeah. I think you and I kind of talked about this offhand, but like there is, you know, as they're on that mission and they're going through, you know, they're, 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 they're going in, the initial plan was just to steal the weapons and then it becomes, oh no, we're taking the ship. Then it became, you know, we're, we need to get into the bridge and get it. He makes that ultimate um, run for the, uh, uh, for the, for the bridge. I feel like we find this big trend of him putting himself in harm's way in a big, big way just to kind of get a, a mission accomplished. And I guess it it, it kind of goes back to the creed that he lives by. You know, it could be that. It could be this whole, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure what it is, but you're. I feel like he's a little reckless in terms of trying to accomplish what he's trying to set out to, to do, right? Like episode yeah. one, he... He threw himself. Um, well, not he threw himself. He got himself um, ingested by the uh, the crate dragon. Um, ended up coming out of it great, but big risk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Episode two, I guess he kind of you know you can make the argument he put himself at risk by even like uh, by trying to trying to sit no no not even i'm I'm thinking about this wrong because episode two is basically a callback to when he did do good deeds and how that kind of comes back and yeah it works for him i guess in some point because that's what that's how he got off from the um x-wing pilots right yeah he i think he is a little too trusting at times but it seems to be paying off for him in terms of karma so 
I can't really tell him otherwise. Um, but yeah, he he's using that network to before the mission. He goes to the frog lady, basically just drops off the child and says, "I'll pick you up at 10. And then the the, the child is just like eyeing up that the eggs and the hatching of one egg again. And it's like, is this kid about to eat another egg in front of the two parents? They're doing. I, I don't know if you <laughs> care as much as I do, but they're tying him to food and to like insects a lot in this season. Um, and you mentioned it too, like the the major difference between last season and this one is that he's not using his force abilities. So something else is going on in in the world for him that you know spiders are being drawn to him. He's eating like these it's like a prayer be prayed kind of or a predator kind of situation for him where i mean at the end of this episode there's like a squid that wants to attack him something's going on where the he's being called to nature and to animals the force it's the force um i mean no, it could I, be, yeah yeah well i i think that there's a there's definitely something that they're building us up to because there's a couple of scenes that happen throughout, not just this episode, but I think this whole season where they uh, take a little bit more time than I think was needed to kind of focus on on the child and his fascination with food or with um, different little animals that go around that he wants to eat uh, or that want to eat him or want to cause him da- uh, danger. Yeah. I, I I don't know. The, I've seen like themes from from the first season to now about uh, the importance of nature versus nurture kind of thing, you know, and and, and I kind of want to bring something up real quick, but like the the last two episodes of last season, when Quill talked about rehabilitating and reprogramming the IG Eleven unit in order yeah. to be a nurse droid, or we had we had this whole montage, and he went through this whole explanation of like, well, he was programmed to be this way, but you could teach him to be something else. Without a doubt, and I think that comes back to the point that we were just talking about, where Mando has this call to do good deeds, because one, I mean, we're we're looking at the surface level of it drawing him good karma, but also, like we talked about last week, he is definitely this father figure to the child, and I think he knows that, where he's like, if I do good deeds, the child will see this, and this will make some sort of good impression on him. Whether he wants to be a father or not, he he's in that role yeah he is and i think he he takes it very seriously the the task of like delivering this kid so if the armor's words on that weighing on him then it, it then it's also significant because she said you know until you find his his uh his kin you're you are his father right yeah and i i love that point i think there is they're drawing all these elements because you could be raised to the good side to the light side or to the dark side and that's very pressing in the Jedi culture, but I think also just like in the everyday person's world, it's very easy to go good or bad. Yeah, I think um, one of the behind-the-scenes things that we had uh, from, I think, the gallery episodes that they showed on, on Disney Plus for the first season, I think Dave Filoni made a reference to George Lucas saying that Star Wars is ultimately a story about family, no yeah. matter how you kind of paint it. So. That's where I feel like they are definitely threading something along with it, but I think it has more to do of like this nature versus nurture thing with the kid, like with the child, with with life and creatures and their fascination with him is maybe some sort of build up to to some ultimate lesson having to do with that. 
or he's just hungry. <laughs> I hope it's not that. <laughs> uh, we digressed a little bit there. Um, we'll, we'll skip ahead a little bit. Um, but basically, let's, let's let's fast forward to them fighting on the ship. Um, they come up with this plan where they the ship can't jump into light speed uh, until it's clear of the harbor, and that takes a certain amount of time, so that fits their window. Um, so they 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 jump on board with their jetpacks. That was one of the most stunning scenes, uh, I think, paired uh, compared to the the opening of crashing to the planet. To me, that was like the most stunning uh, artwork that they did on this episode. That big and action the, scene was incredible. Yeah, there's so much fighting on this on this ship that I almost forgot it was only 35 minutes. I, it felt like I was like in the action. It was intense. It got my mind away from all of the cares of the series. Like I didn't care about Boba Fett. I didn't care about Navarro. I, I only cared about like him fighting his way through there. It, it felt very much like when he was fighting his way through the prison scene in the prison transport in season one. Yeah, on, on principle, I'm still gonna complain that the episode should be an hour long. But I think this was the first one in this in this um, season where I didn't I didn't even notice it was 30 minutes. And and at the end of those 30 minutes, I didn't really quite think, oh, this should have been longer. But I thought it was paced out really, really well. Yeah, I, I at the end of it, I didn't say this should have been longer to myself. I said to myself, oh man, I wish this was longer. Like I wish I got 10 more minutes of him fighting or him talking to them because the thing i love about like this episode is that and we're, we're jumping ahead here but the thing i loved was like it connects the lore of all these worlds like we were talking about it connects clone wars um it gives us history like the, the one thing that we talked about before the season even started was like what do we need to see i i need to see a little background on like moff gideon because i i enjoy the history of how did you get to where you are but yeah, so the, the, the fighting goes on for for a few minutes uh, of this episode throughout the ship. They they make a couple choke point fights. You kind of talked about it before where he makes this like sacrifice play to get past the choke point. But the, the thing I noticed like throughout this was that like he was a little tentative on on like fully fighting. Like we've seen him fight with worse odds. And it seems like he was kind of just like taken aback at how good Bo-Katan's crew was. Yeah, I think this might be the first time he's fighting side by side with, I guess, what would be veteran Mandos, right? Yeah, other than in the first season when he makes his first escape from Carl Weathers' crew. I always forget his name um, in the show. But Reef Cargo, yeah. I think... um, I think at the, I would have to go back and rewatch that because it's been a while. But I think he also like didn't do that much once all the other Mandalorians showed up, um, or sorry, the Watch showed up. So I think he does like he doesn't often get to fight with people of his caliber. So yeah, that that's probably it. Like he's just understanding how everyone else is moving, um, and they, and they're trained as a crew as a group. So they they know how each other moves. They know which like where to fill in what gap when someone else moves to the left or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I thought this, I thought the sacrifice play was a little weird. I get it. It was to get past the choke point and he was like, Oh, they're all stumped. Let me show them what I got. But it's like, yeah, you're ending up just taking like 50 bullets to your armor. <laughs> He's got new armor though. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like there are weak points between all that armor. 
I guess it's one of those things where it's it's just a part of the character that he is, right? Because I feel like they make a big deal out of like he is this he's supposed to be this like cold blooded killer in the beginning of the series, but slowly through the course of the last season and into this one, there is a side of compassion that's kind of come up there, and I feel like that might be that might be it because he starts out this episode or, or his meeting with with these group of Mandalorians as being like, oh, you guys are not the true mandalorians that i've been raised to to kind of believe in you guys are fake <laughs> and towards the the rest of this um mission he forges a another whole bond with them or at least becomes a little bit more accepting of of them yeah i mean he definitely did it to fit in with them because it feels like it's his family in a way like even though they don't believe in the same do not remove your helmet principles and whatnot whatever else there is, they're still within that same general umbrella of that creed. But to me, it just feels a little reckless knowing that your mission is to protect the child. And right now the child is sitting with the frog people who don't care about him or getting him back to a Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, he he makes a lot of sacrifice plays really quickly. Or maybe he's just like naturally depressed because at the the finale of the last season he's just like no I hurt my head leave me to die you guys yeah. go on without <laughs> he's got this like hero complex where like he wants all eyes on him but like <laughs> he's yeah, secretly it's, it's a weird. diva I think he is <laughs> he's just he's just a drama queen in disguise there uh yeah so we get Bo-Katan talking to the captain about Moff Gideon, only referring to him as him, asking about the Darksaber, uh, which was the first, uh, even though we brought it up earlier, it's the first time that she actually mentioned it by name. So you know she's talking about Moff. You know that her path will eventually lead her to, assuming to Navarro, that he's still on that planet. But either way, I think this is a strong indication that they're going to team up later on. Yeah, I, I don't think they bring on Bo-Katan for like a one-off, but I, I think she's going to take on a similar role to what we see Grief and Kara do and take, which yeah. is you'll come up one, maybe two episodes a season, and, and maybe we'll flush out that story into something bigger later on. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, but she she does let him go, free to go, once the mission's been completed. Um, She shares Ahsoka's... Ahsoka Tano's details about going to the planet Corvus, uh, the, the forest planet Corvus, uh, which I don't think we've ever heard of before. So it'll be nope. interesting to see them expand their universe a little bit more. Um, and then this, is, again, is like you would have totally missed Ahsoka if you only watched the movies, but it wouldn't matter to you because it's like, oh, he's going to find a Jedi. This is very similar to when Luke was told to go find Yoda. It's someone that you didn't know, but that's someone who has like a major role in the universe. So it doesn't really matter if you only watch the movies, but to people who watch this Clone War series, this is huge because the end of the series is like, oh man, I want to just follow the rest of her story and see where she goes next. This is one of the most satisfying moments, I think, <laughs> for, yeah. the, for the yeah. series. When you finally kind of, and I feel like as a fan, you kind of, not necessarily that you're looking at it in this way altogether, right? But I feel like whenever you're watching or consuming any sort of content from any particular franchise, you're investing your time into it. And so anybody who's like 
for the last decade plus uh, enjoyed Clone Wars, this is a huge payoff to finally have somebody like Ahsoka not just name dropped but promised yeah. on a live action show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is not quite the payoff yet because we need to see him actually interact with her. I don't want it to be like a wild goose chase where like she doesn't actually exist anymore. But oh wait, there's someone else you could talk to. Like I don't want it to become that. So I'll wait to say this is a payoff until we see her. But yeah, no, it's awesome that like they're referencing people within their own universe and brought fully over to live action. Yeah, I'm. I am. I am gonna go on. I, I feel like we are definitely gonna get some sort of payoff on it. It, it seems like uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni know exactly how to play up fan service and when to use it and when to cut back on it so i just because of that i i'm you know i'm i'm gonna say this is definitely a show that i feel like because my my initial fear was going to be like we're going to get inundated with stuff completely uh but it hasn't really turned out to be that way at least for the first these first three episodes like i feel like this story still very much intends to focus on mando but giving you a few little things to kind of finish bookend some of the loose uh, plot points from Clone Wars or Rebels. Yeah, I don't think they necessarily need to tie the two shows together um, fully. Like, that would be too big of an ask. Um, plus, this has to be its own thing that can stand up. So it doesn't necessarily need to explain where she's been this whole time, unless it's like a one or two sentences, like, brief after the Jedi fell, here's where I went, like, kind of thing, like, you know? Right. Because um, they could honestly probably make a whole spin-off show of just that, either cartoon, uh, either animated or live action, and people would watch it. Um, but yeah, so then they, the, the episode ends with him taking off from Trask, Planet Trask, and setting his course. We don't know if it's Corvus, possibly somewhere else. I kind of am thinking that we're not going to see Corvus next episode. I think it's either going to be him going to some other planet on the way to repair a ship because it looks like crap at the end of this episode. Um, you were talking maybe Navarro. That's definitely been featured in the trailer. So it's very possible now that we're three out of the, what, eight episodes in. Um, I think they could spend a couple episodes on Navarro and then finish his mission with the last few. Yeah, everything that I've I took from the trailers has been completely a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> so a hundred percent. Like we ha- we had some good like good interpretations, but there wasn't enough to go on. It was more of just like let's tease some what we can do. Like what are yeah. what are like, some of our cool action shots? Well, yeah, but I'm also enjoying that because I feel like way too often now, not just movies, but TV shows also, they'll give you trailers and you know beat by beat what's going to happen. And so now I'm just like, I think I know what's going to happen. And then you actually see the show and you're like, oh, whoa, I didn't expect that. Yeah, Uh, uh, 100% I agree. So I think we can get into the general likes, dislikes. I think, I mean, it's pretty obvious throughout this conversation that we both really loved this episode. Like I said before, this feels like a payoff if you're a clone wars fan if you're into the lore it's more than just like oh we reuse that ice cream maker which holds money as as a little nod to the to the fan uh it's more than that it's developing these plot points and direction for the show uh based off of the animated series but it's also like if you only ever watch the movies casually it still feels like 
wow, this was awesome action. I don't know who Ahsoka is. I'm, I can't wait to find out kind of thing. Like, um, I think it tied everything really well together and it progressed the story much faster than the last two episodes did combined. A hundred percent. The, the the pacing was so and, and I feel like I repeat myself so much with pacing on, on these conversations, but I, I do feel like that's key to see, to seeing whether a 30 minute episode works or if a one hour episode works. If the pacing's not well, it's not well. You know, it's, that's kind of one of those things where like if, if it doesn't work well, people notice if it works really well, nobody comments on it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely I think this is the best episode of the of the season so far. Um, and I, I hope that they continue the, this this trend on just how they're utilizing these um, the time that they have per episode. Yeah, and I think what they're realizing too is that dialogue is very important um, for progressing the story. It's not about moving from one planet to the other, like physically progressing. It's more about like give us the history of what the watch is. Give us the history of Ahsoka or like the direction of Ahsoka. Um, and work in Moff Gideon a little bit, like keep that major plot point going so that we know like, Ooh, there's still that looming threat out there. Yeah. And I feel that this, this episode kind of puts us back on track from where episode one kind of told us where we're going in. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really like the call outs for Clone Wars and, uh, on this episode, I really like the, the visuals a lot on this. Yeah, uh, and for anybody, and, and so you brought this up too, but everyone that I know that watches this show that isn't a huge Star Wars fan, because I've got a couple of friends that don't really like Star Wars all that much. They think it's a little bit too much, or they they can't get into the lore all that much. Um, the folks who watched it that aren't fans at all, they love this episode too, from what I've seen. And you you don't have to be a super mega fan to get the point of some of the or some of the details that come up. Uh, in this episode, but it it just kind of shows how really well balanced it is when you have a creative team that not only understands the lore but respects it and knows how to use just enough fan service and and when to kind of like pull back a little bit. Well, that's the thing. Like George Lucas knew how to build his own universe of fans, and I mean. There, like Dave Filoni is like the second coming of him. Like he understands that and like worships that style. So for Favreau to like really lean on him as another executive producer, it it just makes it so watchable for anyone. Yep, a hundred percent. What about predictions? Anything big? I know you're thinking Navarro next. So I didn't jot anything down, but I feel like my my big my big prediction. Oh, we're all show, we're off script right now. We're we're just I know. <laughs> and let's see if any of these ideas can I, can be kept for future. I episodes. think the finale is going to focus on Ray. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> um, no, I I honestly I think in terms of predictions, one one thing is kind of a prediction slash on my wish list, but I kind of see it happening. Uh, the Darksaber's importance is brought up in this episode. Mm-hmm. We have Ahsoka coming in at some point in this season. Allegedly. Hopefully. At some point. Right? Um, my one wish slash prediction, we're going to get a lightsaber fight this season. I feel like we're building up to that. Um, lightsaber against Darksaber? Or it doesn't yeah. matter? 
against. Yeah, lightsaber against darksaber. Who's wielding the darksaber? Moff Gideon. There's so much we don't know about him. I feel like he can't move that well. I feel like he got it by having his troops win a battle and brought it to him. Well, we don't. We haven't seen him actually use it like in combat. I I, I don't know because I know like, he hasn't a, done more than walk. <laughs> we haven't seen him run. <laughs> well, I know like Vader had his um, inquisitors right, and and they dig into that right. side of the lore a lot during Rebels, which is basically full full disclosure spoilers here, but. Um, the Inquisitors were basically former Jedi that were turned to the dark side and used to hunt down other Jedi uh, by Darth Vader. It, I wonder if, given the fact that that's something that has happened, right, is Moff Gideon maybe somehow trained in, in the use of it? Is he maybe forced? Like, I, I, I want to know more about this guy. Like, maybe give us an episode with him. And and, and I think that's coming. I just don't know if it's going to be this season or next, but um, that's my want slash prediction of it is like g- give us some background on on Moff Gideon. Yeah, the more we talk about it, the more I do think Navarro is next. I think his sh- like like Mando's ship is in no order to jump to light speed and hold together. So I do think he does need to like go to another port and get it fixed by someone who won't patch it together with fishing nets. Um. So I don't know if if we'll see any man like I could I could easily see them just doing a like a ditching Mando's plot for this whole next episode and just showing us what Moff Gideon's been up to like why is he collecting all these weapons where is he putting them all um is he still on Navarro is he like I think it might be him I don't know I'm assuming he's still on Navarro and like taking over it um because we saw in the trailer both uh, grief. And um, the shock trooper, Kara, Kara, um, in, in the trailer. So I think that maybe we'll see what's going on there. Who knows if we'll get history on him? But yeah, I, I it's very hard to make predictions right now. I think it, it's. I mean, I don't think we're getting Ahsoka next episode. I think no. people need to be aware of that that's probably going to be like out of eight episodes that's probably going to be like episode six yeah yeah i don't i don't think it's like finale material but i i, I think boba's finale material <laughs> I, I actually you know what after this episode i don't even know what boba's gonna fit into <laughs> into this yeah no i don't know about that either um and then the reason that I'm, I'm saying navarro i think that they're kind of like I think Reef and Kara are probably like hostages on that planet. Like they can't leave, and she's obviously a shock trooper, so she's probably in trouble with 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 Moff. So I think what they might do, because we saw him featured in the trailer, was is like break out Mando's first bounty that we saw him collect. a conversation of Moff that all the Mandalorians are being hunted and they're gathering on X planet or whatever it is, you know, so that maybe they chase after and are trying to regroup with him to warn him about something. And then I could see that is how the whole plot would build towards like, Oh wait, he mentioned the dark saber. Like, I didn't know he was alive. 
they mentioned the dark saber connecting dots sort of you know yeah i i, I kind of like that we have no idea what the hell's gonna happen next yeah that is a shot in the dark it could be literally him just flying in slow speed getting his ship repaired picking up his next side quest it, it, it might be but i also feel like um there we've had enough um I think we kind of have a little bit of a tell from from the first season of how they kind of space it out. So after one heavy action loaded episode, they kind of give us a little bit of filler, a little bit of breathing room right before we get into another one or two episode arc. And I feel like they're probably going to follow the same rhythm here. Where I do feel like we're taking this series is maybe in the... And really, I think you and I, the only reason why we kind of affixed to Navarro all that much is because that's the only other missing footage from the trailer. Right. <laughs> from the trailers that we've seen. So um, who knows? Maybe they'll surprise us. I, I feel like we're in for some sort of surprise this season, just because we got so limited in the marketing material for this season. Yeah. You know what this kind of reminds me of is the Prison Break episode. Uh, not this episode, but like next episode could be like that, where it's like, we had no way to guess that that was coming because right. it kind of jumped a little bit on the timeline and it also brought us to a destination we never heard about, a crew that he we never heard about. Like, it was... You, you could have never guessed it. And that's where I kind of feel like I'm at right now. It's like, I don't know where we're going with this, but I'm I'm down for the ride because I know how well this one turned out that they're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I feel like we we've we've been energized enough with uh, some of the progression of the story here that there's really so many places this can go. Um, I do think he's gonna have to get that ship repaired though at some point. So that 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 is cause for and not immediately jumping to Corpus. Would it would it kill him to put like maybe a turret, a gunner on the on the ship? Like protect yourself in one of these fights. He's literally just <laughs> he's going into a boxing match without gloves. He's just like covering up his face in most fights. <laughs> He needs to go to that casino planet from Last Jedi and place that his could bet. be it. Maybe we'll that's it. Little, that's that's the next episode. I'm calling it. He's gonna go a to the R and R. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna lose all his Republic credits, all of his Mon Calamari, whatever they call him, Flan was it? I, I forgot what the currency they used in the first season was. Flan was a dessert, and it's a <laughs> custard dessert. So no, <laughs> no, I think they called it Flan, didn't they? Uh, they might have, yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. But I, look. I'm supposed I to. I think that's this. a. I think that's a pretty good place for us to wrap up. I mean, this was a really heavy episode with history and lore and action, and it was only 30 minutes long. So very exciting yeah. to see that they're, they're making progress, um, even with less time. Obviously, we wanted to get back to back to 45, 50 minutes next week. Um, so yeah. Stay tuned. We'll we'll be uh we'll be reviewing chapter twelve next week. Uh, if you feel like you wanna like we missed any topics or you want to talk about any topics more, feel free to tweet us, um, reach us on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we'd love to hear from anyone out there. Yeah.